This morning, as Simon was, was speaking to us and giving us the word, he, he mentioned the word tension. And as he said, the projectors went down. And we think about all these things in our earthly world that um, not in this room and in this room and outside this room and everywhere there is, there's tension. There's, there's things that fail. There's things that cause us to, to think and to second guess what we're doing. And the scriptures today and the scriptures actually for the rest of this series actually kind of pertain to all those because the, the main person that we're going to be um, reading, the, the writings from the main person are Paul. And Paul had an easy life, right? He didn't go to prison. He didn't tell people that they were wrong or he didn't tell people that this is what Jesus says. And they, they all said, yeah, you're right. I should follow you, right? That's not what it is. Paul, the man that this writings that we are reading from Paul for the next few weeks when we're doing this series, the, the theories of relativity, they're not easy things to hear. They're not things we want to hear. There's tension. Paul was a man who experienced tension for his whole life. He was in jail. He was beaten. Paul is the man who's going to give us this wisdom. So the scriptures we are reading are from when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, the first part we're going to read is from chapter 11. The second part is from chapter 13. And these are the words that Paul has for us this morning. I will hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devo devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And then in 13 he continues, oh sorry, yeah, in 13 he continues, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful, a powerful name among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may have seemed to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. These are the words that have been poured out for us this morning from God. Let us bow our hearts so we can prepare to hear the words. 
Jesus, as we come to this place, there's many things on our hearts and many things on our minds. There's tensions. There's things pulling at us. We're thinking about lunch. We're thinking about what we're having for dinner. We're thinking about what the kids are doing or what homework we have to do. There's so many things running through our brains. There's tension. There's distractions. But God, as we come to this place, let us know the one way, the one truth, and the one life, and the one truth that is you. Let us rest in the truth that is Jesus Christ. And God, this morning, as we prepare to hear the words that you have been preparing for so long for this message, even though Mike hasn't been thinking about it as long as you have. God, prepare us to hear the truth that you have for us this morning, because the truth isn't always what we want to hear. is isn't always how we want to live our life. But your truth is truth. We can't change it. We can't change what the creator of the universe decided. So today, we, we, we choose to pass the test. We choose to put our faith in you. We're ready to hear the words that you have for us this morning. All this, erase all the distractions, all the tensions, and focus our mind and our heart and our soul and our spirit on you. Jesus, we ask that everything we do in, in our lives be in your name and only for your glory. Amen. Good morning. Yeah, if we haven't met, my name is uh, Mike Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, see how you did from last week. Christ is risen. You know, indeed he has. And you know, uh, this week we didn't have to park 25 uh, cars on the, uh, on the grass and we didn't park up and down the lane, but still the stone is rolled away from the tomb and we're here to uh, celebrate the resurrected Christ. Um, outside in, our, uh, in the center, we call it, there's this beautiful photo booth. So if you didn't get a photo of your family at, Chris, or at Easter, uh, you can still take it there. I think it'll be up for several more weeks. Um, it was kind of interesting. Yesterday we had this wedding and they were supposed to do all outdoor pictures. See, I told you before that old man Winter was an atheist, but he also hates weddings. I found that out. And proms, apparently. So, uh, um, but they took all their pictures in the photo booth, so that was pretty cool. So if you uh, have an opportunity and want to do that, um, come on back next week in the way you want to, or take a picture after worship uh, today. Christ is risen. Indeed, he has. And that's the single message of the church. The single message of the church has helped us focus on the fact that, that the, the risen Christ is alive and living amongst us now and guiding us uh, towards that which we need to go to. Martin Luther said, every Sunday is a little Easter. And I'm here to tell you that's true. Christ is risen. He's risen so, so that we might have the passion that he has for us, that we might return it back to him, that we might have the enthusiasm that we had last week, as, 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 the same as we have for him every day, that we might have the certainty that indeed Jesus was a person that came to live on earth among us, that he was fully human, fully divine, and he passed right through death on that cross to our eternity and encourages us to come and follow him. And we go forward with that commitment. That commitment to the risen Christ must be what drives us. That one single message in the church must be what drives it. And here's why. Jesus rolled the stone away.
for everyone. I just want you to take a minute and think about what everyone means. When, when you think about Easter, who do you not include in that? Who is it that in some way in your mind saying, oh, they're not really part of this? Because I'm here to tell you that Christ rolled that stone away from everyone. There is no one for whom he doesn't roll the stone away, no matter what character, what, no matter what, 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 what category of humanity you might put them in. Christ came to roll that stone away. And like Simon was, what, for them, and what Simon was talking about in, in between those two songs is he helps us understand the tension because everyone sees things differently. Everyone sees things differently. Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most famous pa- uh, painters of several generations ago, painted this famous painting of the Lord's Supper. A lot of you have seen it. You know, it's the one where we're all on the same side. It's the one, you know, that, that, that when people do skits and stuff, that, that's what they do. Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. Very famous in lots of churches, in lots of places, lots of homes, everywhere. Salvador Dali, a whole different kind of artist, also made this very arresting painting of the Lord's Supper. But in his, there's the table, but it's across Jesus' chest as he hangs on the cross. The same Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the basis of both of those paintings. But both of those artists saw the same thing differently and expressed it differently. That's how we come at life often. I read an article this week on the Internet about two United Methodist seminary professors who see something very differently. One sees the resurrection, the, crucifi- the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as spiritual messages, that it's supposed to bring hope to people, but it really didn't happen physically. That's how she sees it. There's another United Methodist uh, Seminary professor that says the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the most important physical and real events that ever happened in human history. This is bore out in archaeology. It's bore out in historical accounts. It's bore out in the scripture witness. It's bore out in the witness of the church from the moment that it happened in the very place that it happened. They look at the same gospels and see very different things. My opinion, one's right, one's wrong. But they're seeing different things while looking at the same thing. And this is the tension in which we live. Seeing the things of the Christian faith with different eyes can lead to deep spiritual growth. It can lead us to absolutely plumb the depths of spiritual growth when we test it. And that's one of the most important lines that Kelsey read. When we test our faith, when we examine our faith, when we make sure it's consistent with that. Seeing things differently in the Christian faith with different eyes can lead to deep spiritual growth or it can breed dissension in the church. It can absolutely divide and destroy the church. So we bring this Theories of Relativity sermon series to examine and to help you examine ourselves to see if, in the words of Paul, we're in the faith. To see if we are in the faith. It's a spiritual checkup of our own reality. Because when we give a spiritual checkup, when you look at yourself, when you look at your own spirituality, you have to say, is there a growing awareness of Christ's power and presence in my life? With all that I see, am I growing stronger in Christ or am I drawing farther away from Him? We really need to look at that. And only you can do that for yourself. We have accountability groups and all that sort of thing that can encourage you. But ultimately, the work of your spiritual life is to you. 
And we have to constantly ask ourselves, am I growing closer to the presence of Christ or am I drawing farther away from Him? And so today I'm really just going to take the, the moments that have been granted to me to preach the gospel to give you a pastoral message, very simplistic, very clear, to the church to remind us that we must keep our focus on Christ and our devotion to God's purpose. Focus on Christ and devotion to God's purpose. C.S. Lewis, famous Christian writer of last century, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And when uh, Steve was talking up here about our Monday morning group, I'm, I'm blessed to be uh, the mentor of their group right now. And we're reading the, uh, the Screwtape Letters. Now, let me explain to you, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Screwtape, uh, Lewis was this amazing uh, author. He wrote Narnia and all the, that kind of stuff. But he wrote these book, this book called The Screwtape Letters, which has an opposite characteristic to it in Christian r- writing. Because what it is, is Screwtape is a master tempter. He's a master tempter of the devil. And he's teaching a junior tempter how to tempt, as they call it, his patient, which is a person that's become a Christian, how he's trying to tempt them out of Christianity. And listen to what Lewis says. This is like on page four of the book. He says, you don't have to be that great. He says, just distract the Christian. Listen to this, man. Just distract the Christian even by lunch. We are easily distracted people. I had one fellow come up to me in the church here, and and he came up here, and he says, I want you to see something, Pastor Mike. And I said, what's that? He said, I have been so distracted since I got here. I said, why are you distracted? He says, look at the cross. I said, I know it's gorgeous. He says, no, it's offset. I'm like, yeah, I know we designed it that way. He says, that one too and that one too. I said, I know. He says, I'm OCD. I want to fix them every week. I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But he says, I come in here and I'm so distracted. It takes me the first 15 minutes to think it's okay and not be distracted. I know how it is because I got to call some of you back because you're all distracted now, right? Like, wow, they are offset. Yeah, they've been that way since June. But, 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 you done? You worked it out? All right. But, but, you know, we're human beings, so our focus can be so easily lost, you know. I mean, you, you know, you know, I love tacos. What time it is? You know, that we're ADD all the time in our spirituality. Our focus can be lost so easily. We can be distracted so easily by, by just things in our lives, by public opinion, or just the simple overcrowding of our calendar. This happens to us, which is why Paul says, directing his attention just to this, he says, your minds sometimes are led astray. And you can insert whatever leads you astray. Your minds are sometimes led astray from pure devotion to Christ. And distraction from purpose is easy to attain and hard to recover. Some of you are still working out these crosses, right? Our focus is easy to lose, hard to recover. Thus, Jesus and his apostles talk about it a lot. They talk about it a lot in our times. Let me give you a parable of our time. I am not a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. For one, they've beat Dallas two out of three times they've uh, played in the Super Bowl. Secondly, they're always a good team. And third, seriously, black and gold. (laughs) Well, hey. It was your coach 
Hayden Fry, you know, 30 years ago that said, we're going to look just like the Pittsburgh Steelers until we snap the ball. So I, I get it. I get it. Now he said it, not me. I just repeat what I hear. But, but I do feel bad for the Pittsburgh Steelers, not because of the black and gold. I feel bad because 2018 for them was a season of dissension. They, they had complete dissension. They had this star running back that was a complete no-show. Didn't even show up for the season. Held out the whole year. Didn't play it down of football. They had this star-wide receiver, probably one of the best two or three receivers in the entire league, who, whose ego got so in the way, he kept saying, feed me, feed me, I'm the best player, give me the ball more, to where... He just quit playing at the end of the year, too. And they had the star quarterback, maybe a Hall of Fame quarterback, took him to a couple Super Bowls, who seemed at the end of the year completely disinterested. Their whole season, six, nine months, completely lost because they had dissension, such deep dissension in the team that their Steelers season was an absolute disaster for two main reasons. They had misplaced priorities, which their self-interest had overcome their interest in winning games, and they picked the wrong enemy. Instead of the teams they were playing, they picked their teammates and their coaches as the enemy. Now, dissension on a sports team and in the church of Jesus Christ, uninterrupted, will destroy it. Let me repeat that. Dissension on a sports team and in the church of Jesus Christ, uninterrupted, will destroy it. There are two main causes of dissension in the church. And they're the same as what destroyed the 2018 Pittsburgh Steelers. Number one, misplaced priority. Misplaced priority. When you choose preference over purpose, your priorities are wrong. But people do that. I told a story a few weeks ago. Some of you got to hear it. You were at that meeting. But, so bear with me if you heard it. But I told of a, of a former associate pastor of yours. I won't say who it is because this is on the Internet and too, bit, too easy to figure out what church I'm talking about. But when, when, when they, almost used a pronoun there, when they went to their new church from Marion, this is what they found. That when the church uh, years ago had built a sanctuary that was able to have coffee in it, they put their coffee pot right here because that's where the pastor at the time wanted the coffee pot. He thought the flow was good. It was at the side. The seats were all over here. People could go over any time during the service, grab coffee. and they, But during the sermon, sometimes it would get all combobulated over here. So the next pastor said, you know, that doesn't work very well. Let's put it over here at the back of the room. And the people would go there to get their coffee. Now the people that loved it over here were greatly disturbed that it was now over here. And they had the inability to stay quiet about their disturbance. So they had this big hubbub going on in the church because now the coffee was over there, but they liked it over here, but the people that liked it over here always hated it over there. So they were thrilled, and and people's preferences were overcoming the purpose. But then they got a new pastor, your friend, that looked at it and said, you know, in this room, that would work a lot better if it was over here. So then they were all able to be mad at them because some of them liked it better over here than over here. And what had happened there was the very purpose of having the coffee pots, which was fellowship, was fractured by their preferences. They chose what they liked over what the purpose of it was. And huge dissension. Can you imagine a church being upset about coffee pots? Oh, I know, some of you still want the donuts back. Too expensive, not going to happen. <laughs> but you know, if I was a pastor, you know what I'd have done in that church? You guys know me well enough. I'd have thrown the pots away. Somebody said it, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's my brother. 
<laughs> I'd have thrown those pots away and said, bring your coffee with you. You can have it wherever you want. But this happened to me. I'd been at Webster City uh, for just a handful of months, a whole summer. And uh, just like I got to baptize little Mackenzie, I had baptized a handful of kids through the summer because we had a lot of kids and we're growing in our kids. It was fantastic. But I, I baptized this child whose, whose parents, grandparents, were patriarchs of the church, whose parents had grown up in the church. And after the baptism, the mother was just weeping. And I thought, oh, how wonderful she's moved in the spirit. <laughs> Not what happened. She was crying after church, and I went up to, you know, I was their new pastor. I was excited to baptize their child, and I went up to hug her, and I reached out my arms like that, and she says, you have ruined baptism in the church. I'm like, what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, same words as everywhere, right? She said, you have ruined it. I'm like, what, pray tell, might you mean? She said, for years, for years, when we baptized a child, the family then would walk to the altar where there would be a white rose for them to take and they would be blessed by it. It was at that moment I realized why one of the cupboards in my office had a whole bucket of white synthetic roses in it. No instructions, nobody ever told me why, but I will tell you this, that the purpose of that child and Mackenzie's baptism this morning is to embrace the grace of God that is already present in the life of the child and the opportunity the church has to co-partner with, with Eddie and Megan in this case or the parents in raising the child up. That is the purpose of baptism. But the preferences regarding the baptism on little white flowers that I didn't even know what they were for caused this unholy hubbub. I didn't know that people were talking about me out in the parking lot about all this. I didn't know that there was this coffee downstairs. But the preferences overwhelmed the purpose. So the misplaced priority of the church was just dividing us. The priority of the church must be when you come in to encounter the living God. Every single thing we did, all this practice that this band did, all the preparation that Brock and Kelsey did to stand in, in that pulpit, even the words that Steve, sa- that Steve said this morning, everything we do is about helping people, you and me, and all that might hear us on the Internet, come into an encounter with the living God so that we might make new disciples. All the sermons, all the songs, all the studies are the water that we pray people will drink deeply from. But we can't dunk anybody's head in it. We simply give encouragement and and create experiences. All this effort is to help you and me drink deeply from the well of God so that new disciples might be made to go out and transform the world. You know, the only theological, the only theological uh, exam given in the Bible by Jesus, is found in the second half of Matthew 25. We call it the parable of the last judgment or the parable of the sheep and goats. But what in there what it says is, it has Jesus saying, whenever, whenever you fed somebody that was hungry, whenever you gave something to drink of somebody that was thirsty, when you ever gave clothes to somebody that was naked, when you ever visited somebody in prison, so on and so forth, you were doing it to me. 
See, the mission of the church in transforming the world is, is to make those who are co-sojourners of, on this pathway through earth make their physical life just a bit easier because we can. That's why we help with Marion Cares. That's why we make flight lunches. That's why we give to our f- friendship fund at, e- e- at Christmas time. That's why we go to Haiti and so on and so forth. It's to make the walk of those that we walk along the path of this earth physically just a bit better. That, that's part of the mission of the church. And the secondary mission of the church, the priority that we're at, is given to us by Jesus. He says, go there and baptize. Therefore, this is the last words Jesus gives to his disciples. Go, therefore, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And take what I've commanded you to the ends of the earth. And, and that, of course, means that that's the role of the churches. We're making new disciples is to help those that we sojourn along the earth with to help their physical life better, but also to help their spiritual life be better. Our purpose and preference is that Christ be known, loved, and served in and through our lives. Now, if you're a Baptist, that's where you'd give the amen. So let me give you a try. Our purpose and preference is that Christ be known, loved, and served in and through our lives. Christ is risen. You know, he has. And that's why it's important for us that we don't misplace our priorities. And it's also, secondly, important that we don't pick the wrong enemy. The secondary cause of dissension in the church is that we pick the wrong enemy. Uh, Aristides wrote this. If Christians hear that any one of their number is in distress for the sake of Christ's name, they all rush to help them. They all rush. That's how the church is supposed to work. But sadly... And you have the newspaper, and you have internet, and you have radio. Christians, or church people, as a lot of people know us today, those of us that show up on Sunday, we're oftentimes called church people. Sadly, we're known not for our ability to do good works, but our ability to fight each other, to fight among ourselves. We fight over the tenets of faith, like baptism or the Lord's Supper, or whether the virgin birth or resurrection is real and a lot of other doctrinal issues. We fight over what the social issues of the day are, of, of how we're supposed to administer uh, uh, health care, how we're supposed to approach people that want to come live in our country, how we're supposed to feed the poor, what, what's the deal and how we're supposed to react to human sexuality and all these kind of things. But the truth is this. God loves variety, and it's important for his children to grapple with every issue of every age faithfully. Not just acknowledge that the issues exist, but to faithfully navigate life. And to faithfully navigate life, the Christian must grasp tightly that which unifies us, that which unites us. We're going to see things differently. We are. We're a big tent church. That's both our joy and our problem. But we need to grasp tightly that which unifies us, which is pretty simple to see. Paul writes in Ephesians, there is one body, There is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If, if we are united in the one Lord, the enemy, that which stands opposed to the Lord, the enemy of the church is anything that is seeking to replace that one Lord, that one spirit that one gospel with something that sounds more enticing to our ears 
but does not have the substance of the Holy Spirit behind it. It's seeking to replace that with that was written forever with that which is written last week. Or that directly addresses some problem or issue that's on our news feed rather than seeking the ultimate and eternal and obvious truth. Dissension in the church of Jesus is interrupted and healed when we stand fast in that which is most relative to human life. And this is what's most relative to human life. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That message must be propagated. It must be learned. And it must be extended throughout the whole earth. Because our deal should be about making disciples. Making disciples to, and, and helping the lost be found, the broken be healed, the blind able to see, those who can't say a word be able to say, to, to say things. The, the, the making of new disciples is the priority of the church. And we cannot pick enemies in the midst of that. We need to pick our priority and go after it. And we transform the world by changing attitudes and situations to, to make lives better spiritually and physically for people. That's our priority. And our enemy is anything that stands against those things that we seek to do by God's strong hand. That's not a theory. It's what's relative in our age. It's the reason that Christ rolled that stone away. He didn't roll it away so he could get out. You understand that, right? He rolled that stone away so that we could get in there and see that he wasn't there so we can go out in the world and look for him and find him and grapple with the truth and witness to him with all of our lives. Christ is risen. Indeed he has.